Good evening. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First Peter. The book of First Peter in chapter two. Before I get started, let me introduce my family. I'm glad that they could be with us. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, and uh, we have three children, Courtney, Luke, and Chloe. Courtney is 14, Luke is 12, and Chloe is 10. So Luke and, and Jonathan, when we were at Inner City together, Luke and Jonathan were um, in the same class. Uh, they grew up together, and Chloe and uh, Julia were the, are the same age, so our kids don't remember each other too much because uh, we left Inner City back in 2005, and so we've been away from Inner City for seven years. And uh, you know, there was there was a period in our in our ministry when, uh, as my theology professor calls it, that we were in the wilderness for about three years uh, because we were between ministries. Um, we had left Inner City and we had moved to South Carolina for three years and and were out of the ministry just because we were looking for a senior pastorate. And then God was gracious to us in 2008, uh, January of 2008, to move from South Carolina to Northwest Illinois. And people thought we were crazy for moving in the middle of the wintertime. But uh, that was God's plan for us, and we're, we're glad that we're there. And uh, we're glad that we could be with you tonight. I've uh, been looking forward to this opportunity. When your pastor asked me if I'd be interested in coming, uh, immediately my response was yes, but then I had to sit back and think, okay, is this something I can really do? And uh, it took me a while to respond, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're able to be here. And uh, we're, glad that, we're glad that we can be here. Um, and I was going to, you know, my mind is, is going different directions. But, um, oh, and then I looked at, your, at the schedule and I thought, what am I doing here? Because, because uh, you've got some great speakers lined up this summer, and I know you'll enjoy them. But I, I hope that, uh, that you'll allow God to use his word to work in your heart tonight. First Peter chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 1. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Peter writes for us, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Here in the epistle of First Peter, Peter's theme is the true grace of God. And it's the true grace of God, and Peter is writing to this group of believers who are scattered throughout Asia Minor to stand firm in the true grace of God. We, we've experienced God's grace, stand firm in it. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter instructs us in how to stand firm in the true grace of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 begins with the word therefore. And when you see the word therefore, generally we need to ask, what is this word therefore? Why is it there? Well, if we go back a few verses and go back to verse 22... Peter writes, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, 
That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the glory of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit, and we'll get into verses 1 through 3. But what Peter has said is that, that as believers... He is encouraging his readers that they have come to Christ, they have come to God through Jesus Christ, through the Word. They heard the Word, they, they experienced the Word, and they had heard the message of salvation, they had heard the Gospel, they had turned to Christ through repentant faith, and they had become believers. And Peter comes to verse 1 of chapter 2 and he says, Therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These three verses, verses 1 through 3, are one sentence. To begin there in verse 1, it begins with therefore, and the whole sentence uh, goes through verse 3. But it's centered around the word desire. There in verse 2. He says, like newborn babies, long for, or it's centered around that that phrase, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And what is to be longed for, or what is to be desired, is fundamental to growth. It's fundamental to your growth in the spiritual life. In order to grow, we must first remove the hindrance to growth. Verse 1, Peter lays out for us those hindrances to growth. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice. And in order, in order for the desire to be realized, in, in order for this longing to be realized, there must be a de definite break from the evils that hinder growth. He, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to lay aside every sin and the weight which does so easily beset us so that we may run with patience the race that is set before us. As believers, we are in a race. And we are, we are running this race. And we are to lay aside the sin and the, and the, the weights that, that so easily beset us. Whatever, whatever those things are, we are to put them off. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter says the same thing. Therefore, putting aside all of these things. The use... Or the term laying aside has the idea of putting off. It has the idea of, if, like when you come to the end of the day and you're getting ready for bed, you take off your clothes and you put on your pajamas and you hop into bed. That's the idea that Peter is emphasizing here in 1 Peter chapter 2. You put them off. You take them off. You take these things off and you lay them aside and the way that we do that is in verse 2, as we'll see in just a few moments. But the use of the word all, there in uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice. The word all is a demand, or Peter's use of the word all is a demand for holiness. You go back into chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Verse 15, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. 
Peter is calling his readers, he's calling these believers to be holy. Be holy, even as God is holy. The word holy has the idea of separation. To be separated from, from everything that is contrary to God. It's, it has the idea of sanctification, that we are progressing in our spiritual life from the, from the moment we were saved, we're progressing in our sanctification to the time when we're glorified. And in order to do that, in order to be progressing in our spirituality, to be progressing in our sanctification, you have to put off the sins which so easily beset us. To be holy, even as God is holy. God gives us command here that we will never fulfill in this life. We will never be absolutely holy in this life. But yet God gives us the command to be holy even as He is holy. To be set apart. To be separated from sin to righteousness. To be set apart from from everything that, that the world stands for. And be set apart to God and what He stands for. To be set apart to Christ-likeness. The last phrase in that, or in one of the, the phrase in the second verse of that last song that we sang. Lord, make me Christ-like, whatever it takes. Do we really gather, or do we really understand and realize what the writer of that, of that hymn has said? Lord, make me Christ-like, whatever it takes. It's a desire for holiness. It's a desire for godliness. It's a desire for righteousness. These vices that Peter mentions here in verse 1 will destroy a fellowship of believers. No one is exempt from being involved in these vices. We may think, well, I would never... I would never be malicious towards anyone, or I would never slander anyone, or I would never, I would never do any of these things. But we have to understand that, that because of the nature of sin and because of the nature of depravity, no one is exempt from these things. And Peter says, putting aside all of these things, he says, putting aside malice. Malice is a general term for evil and wickedness. It pertains to a moral evil in all of its forms. When the word is used in the New Testament, it is generally used of ill will or malignity. What it is, is it's an eagerness to injure one's neighbor. And again, we would say, well, I would never desire to be malicious. But let's continue what, what Peter says. He says, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy... And all slander. The next three things that he mentions deceit, hypocrisy, and envy proceed from malice. What is deceit? It's guile, it's a cunningness or a craftiness. It's the attitude of trying to get an advantage of another by the use of deception. The term was generally used as 
a bait for fish. You know, I'm not a fisherman, but I've been fishing. I hate to fish, but I know how to fish. You go out on a boat or you stand on the seashore and you put that little worm or that minnow on a hook and you cast it onto the water and you hope to deceive some fish to bite the hook because that could be your dinner. But the fish is thinking he's getting dinner and he's going to end up being your dinner. And you deceive that fish. That's the word that that Peter uses here. The idea of deception to, to deceive others. And what it is, it's hurting others for personal gain. Much like the fishermen. They are going to destroy that fish to feed their stomach. You know, as believers, whether, whether we are, and sometimes we're not even conscious of it, but we can say something or we can do something that can cause a hindrance to the fellowship of a group of believers. And so Peter says, putting aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, being something or saying something that you're not, saying one thing and doing another, being hypocritical in in our activity, being hypocritical in our speech, envy. We know what envy is. Desiring something that somebody else has, covetousness, or, or being envious of, of somebody's position that you wish was yours. And Peter says, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Slander is speech that puts down another. It is, the assaulting, it is assaulting the character of another, usually behind their back. It has to do with denying an individual's virtues or speaking of someone's good as evil. Slander is often the fruit of envy. Because you envy someone, you can slander them. Because you you see what somebody else has or you you see what somebody else does and, and you don't like it. And so you go behind their back and you talk, you talk about them and say, did you see what so-and-so did? Did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you... And it's slander. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He begins with a proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. What is it to sow discord among the brethren? Can you believe what this person did? Did you did you hear did you hear what this person did? And it, it creates discord. And it, it causes somebody on this side of the auditorium to, to dislike someone on this side of the auditorium, not because of anything that this person did to this person, but because of what somebody said. 
and it slanders, and it, it creates a discord among the brethren. It, it creates a, a disharmony. And as believers, there has to be harmony and unity within the body. There has to be. Somebody on this side has to be harmonious with everybody on this side. You know, why do these people sit over here? Is it because they dislike somebody over here? I've been in churches like that. But that ought not to be. Because, number one, God hates it. And number two, Peter says, put it all off. Put it aside. Get rid of it. And the removing of these vices must be replaced by an active effort to promote growth. To put them off, to promote growth by an active effort. So in order to be able to grow, and, and I, I believe Peter is speaking individually, that we, that we would grow in our spirituality, that we would grow in our Christ-likeness. And in order to grow, we must take in the nourishment that is going to nurture growth. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, he says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The word long for is an imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a responsibility that every believer has to long for the pure milk of the Word. Peter's use of the word babe, baby is not intended to be derogatory. Contrary to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, Peter, or the, the writer of Hebrews in verses 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so there at the end of chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, you must needs go back to the, to the milk, to the, to the basic necessity of the truth. Because you're just not ready for the milk or the meat. You're not mature enough. But that's not what Peter is saying. Peter is, is not using this in a derogatory way at all. His point is that those who are born again, that those who are saved, that those who are believers should maintain a baby-like eagerness for spiritual nourishment. To maintain that baby-like eagerness, just as a, a newborn baby craves, milk. That baby is not going to grow without it. That baby is not going to be nourished without milk. And Peter says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word. And in keeping with the metaphor of the baby, he says, long for spiritual milk. 
The word long for is, is used to express an urgency. It is a longing for. In Psalm 42, in Psalm 42 and verse 1, the psalmist relates this well for us. In Psalm 42 and verse 1, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. As the deer in the, in the wilderness, in the forest, longs for that water, so my soul longs for you, O God. And just as that deer pants for water, so must we long for the spiritual milk, the pure milk of the Word. The word long for, it's an intense craving. I remember the first time that I went to a Cold Stone Creamery. And my wife, my wife and I went. We had had dinner and we, we saw Cold Stone. We had never been there before. And we were like, oh, well, that looks like a good place to get some ice cream. And they have three sizes. They have a like it, a love it, and a gotta have it. And we ordered too much ice cream. Because we were thinking... I mean, we really didn't know how big the servings were. And every time I go back, I never order the love it or the gotta have it size. It's always the like it. But there are people, I'm sure, because they it's still on their menu, that people walk in there and they order the gotta have it size. Why? Because they have an intense desire for ice cream. And just like that, gotta have it. We have to have the Word. You have to long for. You have to have God's Word. We have to have it. Your appetite for the Word may be an indication of your spiritual health. Can I say that again? Your appetite for the Word may be an indication of your spiritual health. Do you long for God's Word? Do you crave it? Do you have an intense desire for it? Peter uses two descriptions of the milk. He says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word. It's of the Word. It would probably be better translated as spiritual. Spiritual milk. It has been translated. The word has been translated. Uh, the word has been translated as reasonable in Romans chapter twelve and verse one, in which it could be suggested that it could be uh, that it could be spiritual as well. It's it's spiritual. To identify it as spiritual would help us to understand that the milk of which Peter is speaking is beneficial for us. Spiritually, It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to disable you. It's absolutely beneficial for you. The context here tells us that Peter has an emphasis on the Word of God. Going back to chapter 1 and verse 23, he says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And he tells us what that seed is through the living and enduring Word of God. Just as we came to Christ through the Word of God, 
So we must continue in the Word of God. It's absolutely necessary. It's absolutely beneficial. He says it's of the Word. The second description of the milk is that it is pure. It is pure. It is, it is pure milk, which means it is without deceit. It is without deceptiveness. It is without guile. It is without malice. It is without slander. It is without everything that, that Peter has told us to put away. It is without hypocrisy. It is without envy. It is pure. It is righteous. It is spiritual. It promotes a guileless life. And what is beneficial for our lives is the pure Word of God. Not something that's watered down with philosophy or human wisdom. There are a lot of books out there that are self-help books that say, do this or do this or do that and, and you'll get rid of all of your problems. but they don't contain the Word of God. They don't promote the Word of God. God's Word is the answer for life and godliness. It is all we need for life and godliness, as Peter says in his epistle as well. And so he says, like newborn babes, babies long for the pure milk of the Word, and also there in verse 2, Peter gives us the purpose of the desire. The purpose of the desire. So that. That word so that is a, begins a purpose statement. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Spending time in God's Word ought to have a specific goal. Just spending time in God's Word is not the ultimate goal. To have a goal to read through or to read God's Word every day, that's a noble goal. One that we ought to have. That I am I'm going to set aside time in my schedule as busy as it is I'm going to set a time in my schedule to read God's Word. That's a noble goal. But it's not the ultimate goal. To have a goal that you're going to read through the Bible in a year. And, and people say you ought to read through the Bible every year. And perhaps we should. And that's a noble goal. But I would suggest that it's, it's not the ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is not just spending time in God's Word. It's not just reading God's Word every day. It's not just reading through the Bible in a year. The ultimate goal of spending time in God's Word has to be spiritual growth. It has to be your growing spiritually. Now, I'm not going to say that that reading the Bible every day is not beneficial because often things are, are more caught than they are taught. 
you know, when we read God's Word every day, when, when we look at something every day, there's going to be, there's going to be something that, that, that sticks. But there must be a purpose towards spiritual growth. It has to be something that you want. It has to be something that you desire. To be more like Christ. To be more like Christ today than you were yesterday. To be progressing in our spirituality. To be progressing in our sanctification. Becoming more like Christ. That's God's goal for your life. Have you ever thought about what God's goal for your life is? We, we sit down and we, we set goals. But what is God's goal for your life? What is God's goal for you as an individual? It's your spiritual growth. There are some specifics in God's Word that I can tell you specifically is God's will for your life. One is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. In every or 5:18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. A second purpose is is your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 7, and this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from fornication sexual immorality but this is God's purpose for your life your sanctification what is sanctification? being set apart from sin to God set apart from worldliness to Christ likeness becoming more and more like Jesus Christ till the time when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ Either, actually, it's either when we die or we meet Christ in the air, we will be glorified. First John says, We look forward to seeing Jesus, for we shall see him, and we shall be like him, for we shall see, for we, sh- we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. But we will be like him. So, what's our goal? To live our life like me on this earth, because that's who I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life how I want to live it, with without a an inkling for what God wants in my life to be more like Christ. The absolute goal of your life has to be. Sanctification, more like Christ, becoming more like Him every day. The purpose of desiring, the purpose for longing the pure milk of the Word is so that you may grow in respect to salvation. Reading the Bible is the means by which spiritual growth is realized. We will if we're not understanding what God has said, if we're not understanding what God has for my life, 
then we're not going to grow. But reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, is the means by which we grow spiritually. Just as a baby cannot grow, will not grow, without nourishment. So are we in our spiritual life. You will not grow. You cannot grow without nourishment. You cannot grow spiritually. You will not grow spiritually without the nourishment of the Word. Growing is an activity that is brought about by the nourishment that is supplied. So when we come to read God's Word, how do we, how do we read God's Word? We just sit down and open up the Bible and, and wherever the breeze makes the pages turn or wherever, wherever it just falls open, that's what I read? That's beneficial. But we need to have a plan. We need, to, we need to have a purpose in our Bible reading. You know, for, the, for the last year and a half, I have laid out for, for my church, uh, last year, the goal was to read through the Bible in a year. I don't know how many people did. I don't know how many people made it. This year, the goal is to read through the New Testament in a year. And how I've laid it out is, uh, and th- this is just an example. For the, for the month of January, we read through the book of Matthew. For three weeks, we read through the book of Mark. For four weeks, we read through the book of Luke. For four weeks, we read through the book of John. My desire for them is to read through it more than once. But if they get through it one time in the course of of those weeks, then good for them. And then at the end of the at the end of the course of the four weeks or the course of the course of time that we've set out, I take a Sunday morning in in my Sunday school hour to talk about what we've learned. How do we know what we've learned? By asking questions. So when we come to God's Word and when we look at God's Word, one question that we, that we have to ask is, what does this teach me about God? What does this say about my God? How has God revealed Himself to us? Yeah, He's revealed Himself through creation. Hebrews tells us that He's revealed Himself through Jesus Christ, the, the incarnation of the Son, that Christ became man. And, and has revealed God. But God's revealed Himself through His Word. Do we know God? Do we know who He is? Do we know what He's like? The only way we know God is through His Word. So what does, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about me? What does this passage say about me? My attitude towards God. My attitude towards others. My attitude towards life. What does this teach me about me? Are there sins to confess? 
as I, as I read God's Word, is there, is there something specific that I need to confess? Are there promises to claim? What, what has God said about His faithfulness that, he, that God has promised to do? Are there examples to follow? Are there commands to obey? The Scripture is full of imperatives. It's full of commands that we are to obey. How did we come to Christ? By obedience. Peter says it there in verse 22. Since you have been obedient to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. What was the message of the apostles? Repent and believe. Imperative. Commands. Repent and believe for the salvation of your soul. So what do we do? When, when the Holy Spirit convicts our heart and we, and we understand that, that we are sinners in need of Christ, in need of a Savior, we repent of our sin and we turn from our sin to Christ and we believe that Christ is the only way. It's by obedience to the truth. Are there commands to obey? And so Peter says, as newborn, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. But growing is not instantaneous. Growing doesn't just happen overnight. You know, when we have kids and, and we haven't seen people for a long time, often it's, it's like, wow, your kids have grown. And, and uh, we, had the, we had the privilege of going to Greenfield Village today. And uh, we saw an old friend from inner city, and, and uh, we were talking, and, and uh, I said to her, I said, we don't change. Our, ju- our kids just grow older. Well, that's, that's not true, because we all grow older. But you know what? I'm done growing, unless, unless for some reason I would grow outward. But I'm done growing. I'm not getting any taller. If anything, I'm getting shorter. I'm, I'm done growing physically. But my kids are still growing. But, you know, as, as that baby comes out of the womb, and when they're 19, 20, 21 inches long, and they begin to grow, our babies don't grow from 19 inches to 30 inches overnight. It's not instantaneous growth. It takes time. It's a process. Growth is a process. So here's the question. Are you more like Jesus today than you were the day you got saved? It's a process. It's a growth. Again, it's, it's in the idea of, of growing in our sanctification, progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we're not going to take steps backwards. That's the nature of sin. But are we growing? Are we growing in our knowledge of God? Are we growing in our Christ-likeness? Are we becoming more like our Savior? It's not instantaneous. It's a process. 
this growing, again, is in regards to salvation. Peter is not saying that desiring God's Word merits salvation. But what he is saying is that the believer is growing towards full maturity. And what does Peter say at the end of his second epistle? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's writing to a group of believers. He's writing to the same people whom this epistle is written to. And he understands that they've been saved. They've been believers probably for a while. And what does he tell them at the end of his epistle? But grow. Grow in grace. In what grace? In the grace of God. In the grace of Jesus Christ. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. Are you growing? And in verse 3, Peter gives us the incentive to grow. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, our desire for God's Word ought to be motivated by what, ha- by what God has done. If you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord, Peter is assuming that his, that his readers have experienced God's amazing grace and compassion. He says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, tasted does not imply a cautious sip. It's not like you would drink a, a hot cup of chocolate or a hot cup of tea or a hot cup of coffee that, you know, that you, you pour right out of the pot and you, you sip it because it's too hot and you're going to burn your tongue. That's not what this word pictures. This word is, is picturing a full enjoyment. Really, it's, it's a fire hydrant of the kindness of God. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord... And the word tasted is used of coming to know by experience. Look back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What did Christ do for us? Did he just set death? No. He took the full brunt of it. He experienced it fully. Why? so that we may experience the kindness of the Lord. That the tasting is a full enjoyment. It's, it's knowing by experience. If you're here tonight and have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, You have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You have experienced God's grace. You have experienced the atoning work of Christ in your life. 
that, that when we came to Christ, God declared us to be righteous, and He is He has justified us. He is, and He is He is He is causing His Spirit to work in us to cause us to be more like Christ. And you have experienced the grace of God. You have experienced His kindness. So why wouldn't we long for His Word? Why wouldn't we long to know Him more? Why wouldn't we long to know Him more intimately? And you know what? It doesn't matter how long we've been saved. Some of us have been saved for years. 25, 30, or maybe just 5 or 6, or maybe just 1 or 2 But do you long for the milk of the Word? The aim of Bible reading is not simply a mastery of its content, but a transforming experience with God. A transforming experience with the Father, a transforming experience with Christ, a transforming experience with the Holy Spirit. Because God, in His Trinitarian form, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has revealed Himself through His Word. Do you know God? Do you long to know Him in a more intimate way? If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, put off malice, guile, deceit, slander, hypocrisy, envy. And like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk of the Word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your love. Father, we thank You that in Your great grace and in Your great love, You sent Christ to be our Savior. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and, and atoned for our sin. And Father, we have come to know that. We have come to understand that because of Your Word. And Father... Give us a desire. Give us a longing for your word. Lord, we thank you for your word because it is what we need for life and godliness. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word you have revealed yourself to us so that we may know you. Help us to know you better. Help us to know you more, that we would be becoming more like your Son. And we pray that we would be growing in your grace and in the knowledge of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.